great morning one more time. So good to see each and every one of you in the house. It's okay to clap your hands if you love Jesus. I can already tell y'all love Jesus because it has been hot in here in the spirit. So thank you for coming today. Those who are worshiping with us online, we welcome you in the house. And we're thankful even for those who are sitting in the overflow inside. Can we make some noise for the overflow right now? God bless you guys that are out there. Listen, before I jump into the message, I do want to take a second just to celebrate something very significant. Uh, Last week, as we started this series, Look Both Ways, we had hundreds of people respond to the gospel by saying, I'm going to take a step into this life with Jesus. And so that's a place that we should celebrate right there. Can we put our hands together? But one of the things that we're doing, as my wife said, that in a couple of weeks on November 5th, we're going to be having a mass baptism. We'll have an opportunity to make a public declaration of that. And so, again, we want to encourage you to do that. But not only that, those who just made that decision or those who are going to make the decision today, we have a new believers class for you. It's actually online on Monday nights at 8 p.m. You can go to connectthevictory.com. It's a banner at the top. You can click that. But we want to make sure that as you accept Jesus, we don't want to just pray for you. We want to walk with you as well. And so there's a community of people that are really going to help navigate through this new walk with Christ. And I encourage you, actually, I implore you, please sign up for that, especially if you are new into the faith. Amen? Somebody say week two. We are in week two today of this new series, Look Both Ways. And one of the things that I love is that we are taking a spiritual approach on what we have declared is probably the best advice that we could ever get in life, and it's look both ways. Now, I don't know about you, but I would say many of us, if not all of us, we've been saved by someone older than us or a parent that has snatched our hand before we ran into the street and got hit by a car. Because they stopped us as we were excited to run across the street and jump into those things. Someone stopped us and said, hey, hold on. There's traffic coming. You need to look around before you cross over. And so in a spiritual context, what we're doing is we're taking that same advice. And we're saying there is a new life after you die. And we want to make sure that before you cross over into the street of eternity, that you look both ways. And so today, we are asking that as we shift gears, Jesus, what he did, he taught us so many things through the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been talking about that all year. And after he told us about the golden rule, which we've just spent several weeks talking about, he shifted and he started to deal with us and ours. He shifted and started to tell us that there are some things we need to consider when it comes to our life here on, etern- in eternity, uh, in, on this earth before we go to eternity. And so I want to read the scripture that he gave us that we started off with last week. So can you turn to your, in your Bibles or your version Bible app to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says this. He says very clearly, you can enter God's kingdom. What's that next word? He said only. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. And so as we've started with these two verses that we would say are very hard to hear, if you were here last week, you know that it was a hell of a sermon. Meaning, we talked all about hell. We talked about hell and it was very heavy. It was very real because we needed to be able to come to grips with what's really going to happen if we do not accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And so today, we're going to make sure that we open our eyes and and look the other way because watch this. It's important for us to know about hell because I said this. I don't know if I even said it in this service, but in the one o'clock for sure, I said the biggest trick of the enemy is that he would try to trick the world and trick us that he doesn't exist and that hell doesn't exist. And he does that because he wants you to be lulled to sleep. He wants you to think that everything you do in this life is all that's going to matter into eternity. But what we need to know here and why we're even talking about this over the next several weeks is because if we're not careful, we will deny that hell exists. And the denial of hell's existence a lot of times brings the denial of Christ. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes we have to be motivated and understand what the consequences are to our actions. And so we acknowledge Jesus Christ as the most loving, caring, most humble, most gracious person to ever walk the earth. And even him, he talked about hell more than anybody on this earth. 
So Jesus, when he started to explain hell, he said it's a conscious place. It's a place of torment where the fire never goes out and the worms never stop eating. He kind of described it as if you were a person feeling every bit of the pain in a burning building where your skin was being burnt up, but you never would get relief by dying. You just have it forever and ever and ever. And I think it's important for us to grab that because hell, it's an eternal place of punishment for those who rebel against God. Now, can we be honest in here by a show of hands? How many people have ever even one time rebelled against God? All of us. And as we know that, we all have rebelled against God, but I'm so glad that as we learned last week, we can have the knowledge that hell was actually never even created for you. So as I was kind of talking about this, a lot of us were getting real heavy, but I made that announcement brought to you by Jesus Christ that hell was not created for you, but it was created for the devil and his demons. But how many thank God for a but in the Bible? Every time I see this news that's very real and very sobering, I love when I come across a but God. And as we know, yes, we were destined to hell. Yes, we have all made some decisions that were not pleasing to God. But God, who is rich in mercy, created a space for us, made it possible for us, gave us access through sending his son Jesus to love us so much, to allow himself to be tormented, to allow himself to go through things that he didn't have to, but he said, I love you that much that I'm going to do it. And so he allowed us to now have life. And that news that I said last week that while hell was prepared for you, can I give us some good news early in the message this week? There's a place that was created for you, and that place is called heaven. While hell was created for the devil, heaven was created for us. And so today, we're going to take a look to the left and actually look at what heaven looks like because we talked about hell last week. And in the same way that last week that we talked about some of the misperceptions about hell, I want to just kind of quickly hit some of the misperceptions that are floating around or some of the thoughts that are floating around about heaven, even when it comes to different schools of thoughts and different religions. So there's a lot of different ones. Heaven is described or even thought of by Muslims as some place that you go based on your good deeds in life. But with that, one of the things that I think is very important for us to know is that you can do all these good deeds and try to make it to heaven, but it's still that you're going to the gates where a hopefully God will let you in. So much so that Muslims often believe that heaven is simply unlimited pleasure in anything you want to have. So you can drink as much as you want. You can have as many wives as you want to have. You can do all the things that you want to have because it is eternal bliss. But it's still very subjective, and it's based on what you do, and it's still on a hopefully. The Mormons, not the moments. The Mormons, I have to say that. I have to enunciate. The Mormons, watch this, especially the ladies in the house, ascribe to the fact that the woman gets the privilege of being eternally pregnant. Some of y'all are like, I'm, already, I'm out on that one already. <laughs> it goes on to say that it's about endless procreation. And so I don't know about you, but I know it's a blessing when the kid comes out, but the process to doing that can be a little tough. Buddhism, it's a result of accumulated karma. They believe in multiple reincarnations that are determined by your last living thoughts, meaning you can come back as a god, a human, or a hungry ghost. There's a lot of different things there, and it's determined by that thing that you're thinking about when you pass away at that last moment. Hinduism has some similarities. They talk about death being a temporary cessation of physical activity, meaning it's almost like a pause in a recharge. Like you die, you go and get recharged, you kind of recycle your energy, and you come back, and you see how God wants to bring you back. But with this, they believe in reincarnation on earth is also uh, influenced by their thoughts. So if you're thinking about food when you pass away, you might come back as a chef or a food taster. Or if you're thinking about money, you might come back as a merchant or a beggar. It's very subjective, and I don't think I want to put my cards into that. And then pop culture, popular culture. If you really think about it, Popular culture generally talks about heaven being like this boring place, this place where you're just kind of, you're walking with eternal Mozart playing or Beethoven. You're being lulled to sleep. A lot of times you'll see images of this little chubby angel with a harp playing around. That's not heaven, y'all. But as we look at all these things, 
Even if you just take a look at those things that I talked about there, and I'm not mocking anyone for their belief, but we have to know that there is a narrow way that we have to ascribe to if we want to see heaven. But as we look at this and we see all the differences, even here, it would beg us to ask the question, how could people say all religions are the same? Because there's a lot of differences. But the truth is, God tells us through the Bible what heaven is like. And what we see is all through the Bible, through Hebrews, through Corinthians, through all these places, it's like God is giving us a movie trailer to get an insight on what heaven will look like. How many movie fans in the house? A lot of people. How many people like to get to the movies early so you can see the trailer? I'm like that. You know, I, I try, I have, to, I have to be very patient when we're walking to the movie to say, okay, we're going to get there on time. And my wife knows that about me. So we'll leave early to get there for the trailer. Why are trailers important? Trailers are important because it kind of gives you insight on what you can expect from the movie. A good trailer produces a longing in you to go see that full movie. They share just enough to kind of whet your appetite so that you start to make arrangements on how you're going to put your life together so you can go see that movie. Y'all following me? And so the Bible is doing this through these insights of heaven. And it's my goal today, and I believe it's God's goal, to give us a longing for heaven, to give us a little bit of a hunger for heaven. Because if we're really honest, and I think I said this last week, many of us are not really thinking about heaven. We're not really thinking about hell. Past the time we first give our lives to Christ, depending on what kind of church you grew up, and they talked hell and brimstone and scared you into the kingdom, you might not have thought about it since then. But because of God and his mercy, he wants us to understand that there are major thoughts, there are major principles. He wants us to really see what he has for us. And so, again, I want you all to hear this statement. Write this down. How you view eternity directs how you will use time. How you view eternity will direct how you use time. Going back to this trailer analogy, we're needing to be able to see what heaven will look like so it will determine how we're going to live here on earth. So much so that when you have the right perspective, uh, the right perspective produces a longing that then dictates your living. Can I back that up and say it again? When you have the right perspective, it truly will create a longing for the things of God. And when you have a longing for the things of God, it will now produce a way of living in the things of God. And so here we go. Heroes of the faith that we read about, they had an understanding about what was to come. They had the proper perspective, and it guided the way that they lived. Let me kind of go to our, our boy Abraham. He's called the father of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, it says this about Abraham and his perspective. It says, for he was looking forward. Say looking forward. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. See, people like Abraham, people that are the heroes of the faith, what they did is they were able to do what God called them to do because they were able to see in the future of what God wanted to do for them. And Paul tells us, write this statement down. It's not even just in your notes. Just write it down. Philippians 3. Go back and read it later. But Paul tells us in Philippians 3 that our citizenship is in heaven. He says that our citizenship is in heaven and that we eagerly await a savior from knowing in that posture. When we're in that posture, what it will do, it will allow us to know that we're just visiting this earth. But if we get mistaken thinking that this is our permanent home, we will live like this is our permanent home. How many of you know when you go somewhere and you're visiting You operate differently than you're going to stay there for a long time and live there. You're more aware when you visit. You travel lighter when you visit. You see what's going on around you. You make decisions different when you visit. But the challenge is that many of us have confused the visitation here on this earth as a residency. And God wants us to know this is not your home. I know you're set up here. I know there's a lot of things that affect you. I know you have a lot of emotions. I know you love your loved ones and you're looking to stay with them for a long time. But in a blink of an eye, this life can be over. And forever is a much longer time than the time here on earth. And so if we had a picture of what our real home was like, I believe that we would act a little differently. So let me ask this question. It's rhetorical. What does heaven look like? 
Heaven looks like this. It's, it's spoken of by Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me give this in layman's terms. What he's really just saying is I could stand up here for an hour and speak. Some of y'all are immediately like, please don't do that. I can stand up here and try to give the, the best description. I could give you all the word pictures. I could put graphs on the screen, pictures up on the screen. But my description of what heaven looks like was still pale in comparison to what it really looks like. With my best attempt, I could not even actually come close to what heaven looks like. And so let's look at what a few observations that, that Paul gives us about heaven so that we can just kind of get a snapshot, a picture, so that it can wet, wet our appetite. The Apostle Paul says this again. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please follow along, verse 12. He says, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, say then, he's talking about heaven. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then, say then again, he's talking about heaven. But then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. So the first observation, some of y'all that are following by you version, you see it already. In heaven, it will all make sense. What Paul is saying right here is that I know in part, I just know little pieces, but in heaven, I'm going to know completely. What he's saying is that when we get to heaven, all the questions that we had on this earth are going to be answered. Now, I think this might be a little bit more of a question for some of the women in the house, but I believe some of the women in the house are going to ask God, God, why did you set this thing up that men and women can eat the same things at night? Work out for the same amount of time and men lose weight faster. Now, for some of y'all, that, like, that's kind of petty, but we might ask God that question. For others of us, we may ask God questions about, you know, why things happen the way they do? God, why didn't you heal me while I was on earth? Why didn't you save my loved one? Even things are not off limits like scientists will ask. What about dinosaurs? What about the black hole? What about global warming? I believe that God is going to be okay with us being able to ask the questions, but in that moment, it'll all be complete. And so as we look at this, we want to be able to answer those questions. But Paul writes in another letter, he says this in Philippians 3, verse 20. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Y'all ready for observation number two? It is that in heaven, you will get a glorious body. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, some of y'all have been working out real hard, spending a lot of time in the gym. You mean, you mean I'm not going to keep this, whole, this same body forever? No, you're not. Because some of us, we'd be like, that's really not going to be heaven if I keep this body. But for others of us, we need to understand that no matter how good or how bad you think your body is, no, no matter how uh, beautiful you think you are, we're all getting an upgrade. Somebody say amen. Why do I say that? Remember when Jesus came back on the scene after he was crucified? People kind of recognized him. Some people didn't. They kind of knew it was Jesus. He was one that could walk through walls, but he could still eat food. That's how our bodies are going to be when we actually go to heaven. We no longer have to take 15 vitamins a day like I do. There's no more diets. We need to say, come on, six-pack forever. We'll have a glorious body. It's like God has given us an eternal nip and tuck, saying, I'm going to put you together better than you could have put yourself together. It's okay to laugh in church, y'all. Some of y'all are so serious. Listen, there's going to be no more back pain. There's going to be no more cancer. No more hair loss. Or no more having to get hair installed. It's all right. It's all right. It's all right. This is real, though, y'all. This is real. Got to ask the question out here these days. <laughs> Listen, there's going to be no more weird moles or, or painful bunions. We are going to get a new body. Somebody's clapping in it. I understand. Some of y'all might want to be so serious, but I want everything to be made new. 
See, there will be no more complaints in heaven. Some of us are going to get a new confidence walking around saying, back then you didn't want me. But now I'm glorious, you're all up on me. God said, I'm fixing you up. I'm going to fix you up. But how did Paul get this revelation? He talks about the fact that he had an encounter with God. And he walks us through it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, God is just tickling me right now. I'm just laughing on the inside. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, uh, Paul says this. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to, the, to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Hmm. I imagine as Paul's walking through that, he's like, man, I can use a lot of words. I'm a, I'm a great writer. But observation number three says, in heaven, you will hear and experience things that are too great for words. If God was to give us a glimpse of heaven before we made it there, I believe that the human language is poverty stricken when it comes to trying to describe who he is and what he's about. And what we have to know is that there are some things that we won't understand until the by and by. But he's giving us a glimpse. And so as human words don't give it, give it justice, I really believe, as I was working on this yesterday, I said, man, maybe that's why the Bible records that you only hear about the angels just saying, holy, holy, holy. Because I believe that every time they try to describe something and put it into words, all they could get out is just holy. And so I don't know about you, but I look forward to a day where it's not just relegated to us being in a worship service and us feeling the presence of God, but I look at God and I just say holy. Somebody say holy. Put holy in your mouth right now. Come on, just say holy, holy, holy. And so as we're looking at this, we need to know about the awe and the wonder of God. Because if we're not careful, we'll become very familiar with what God says he's about, about where he says we're going. And all these things that I'm describing right now, they fall under this banner. Write this word down. Many of you may know it already. It's this banner of a word called eschatology, which simply means the study of the end times. Now, I know as soon as I say that, some of y'all get excited. You're going to talk about Revelation. You're going to talk about the rapture. You're going to talk about all these things. Now, I'm going to fast forward. We're going to probably do a series on Revelation at another time. But we're going to fast forward to the very end. But I do want to give you this insight. If you're ever feeling a little down, if you ever need to be encouraged, if you ever need to know and be reassured that God is who he says he is and that we win in the end, just go ahead all the way to Revelation 21 and 22. You will see that we have the victory. But what I want to do is I want to kind of just talk to us quickly about how do we get to that point of the good news. What we see in the word as we kind of go through Revelation is Jesus dies for the sins of the world as a weak, broken frail body on the cross. But I want to make sure that we're not getting it twisted that he allowed that to happen. That he allowed his body to be broken down so that when he came back, he would never have to be beaten again and we would be whole. If you didn't know, if you looked at Jesus as this little weak person, that is not the picture you need to have in your mind. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, I'm going to allow myself to be broken the first time so that we can be made whole, and that I'm never going to take that beating, but watch this. I'm going to go get the keys from hell and Hades, and I'm going to come back in victory. That every time you think about me, you know you have the victory. So in Revelation 19, it shows us, I want to give these descriptions real quick. It shows us Jesus as he is now, where heaven is opened up and Jesus is on a white horse. He's waging war against all wit witnesses and wickedness. His eyes are on fire, and he's wearing many crowns. He has a name written on his forehead that no one can read. He's wearing a white robe with blood on it, and a sword is coming out of his mouth to strike down nations. I don't know about y'all, but Jesus sounds like a beast. Yeah, he, he has all this power, and we need to know that we need to tap into this. Now, some of us have just thought about little baby Jesus, little soft Jesus, and saying, well, Jesus shouldn't be so 
strong. He shouldn't be so powerful. No, Jesus, he brings peace by crushing his enemies. And so we should be encouraged by that, that we can actually call on the one who has saved us to fight on our behalf. Somebody say amen. amen. And so here we go. Even in the current, current events of what we're seeing today, as you think about what's happening in the Middle East, what we need to know is that that's just a pregame to what prophecy says is going to happen. What we see at the end is that God wins and the nations of it, around Israel, they are going to wage war against Israel but at the end, we know we have the victory. And so what we know, as we said last week, is that Satan is defeated. Somebody say yes. yes. And he has been thrown into the lake of fire. I cannot help but to just pause right there for a moment. Because as I said last week, that same devil that has been haunting you, that same devil that has been speaking death into you, that same devil that has been coming to steal, kill, and destroy. We need to have confidence and assurance that he's being thrown into the lake of fire. Can somebody just put your hands together right now? If you've had a little warfare in your life, you would actually clap your hands. If you've had to overcome some things, you would clap your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. And so we see that the book of life is open in Revelation 20. And let me just kind of read this because, again, I'm just kind of doing a little bit of a backtrack from last week, but it's very relevant to today. Those who die, as we look in Revelation 20, those who die without making a decision to accept and follow Jesus before they passed away, they still have the stain of sin on their lives. Because, again, we said once you die, there's no do-over. Those are currently in Hades, and they will inherit the lake of fire. In essence, when we talk about Revelation 20, when all things have become new, what we see is those people, they were hanging out in Hades, then being thrown in a lake of fire. An analogy of that would be they started off in county jail, but then they got transported to federal prison. So it was bad already, and then it got worse. But the good news, somebody say the good news, smile at me. <laughs> the good news is those who died in Christ having accepted Jesus, having their sins washed away, we, they, inherit eternal life in what's called the new heaven. In essence, it's like the Christians are sitting up in the four seasons. They're having a good time. They're getting pampered. But then they get that call for the, from the concierge to say, somebody just upgraded you to the penthouse. And so the word picture of that is what we call going from glory to glory where you were good already, feeling good in the heavenlies. But God said, the new heaven is now I'm upgrading you. Amen? Amen. And so as we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we see the future images and pictures of what Jesus was preparing for us. What I know as I've read this and really processed this, and I'm going to tell you, even as a preacher, this is not something while you know you're going to heaven and you're confident in that, we don't think about this and talk about it a lot. But when I started to think about it, man, I just started to get excited. Because it's absolutely glorious and way better than we can even imagine. So here's the thing that I want to caution us in. Do not be deceived by the world that will try to make heaven seem like this little boring place that you just settled for. Do not let the world trick you into believing that you're missing out on this earth by doing things that are adverse to the kingdom of God. Because I will say this confidently. Hell will be lit. But it's going to be with a fire you can't come back from. While heaven is a place where God wants you to be able to enjoy as your heavenly home. Amen? And so we ask again, what is heaven like? And for this last part, I just want you to kind of dial in a little bit more and kind of open up your imagination just to kind of grasp this part a little bit. Because, again, we don't talk about this a lot. Revelation 21.1 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. There was no longer any sea. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't take um, taking care of the earth seriously, that we shouldn't recycle, that some of us, if we like that, should not drive electric cars. But we should not be so uh, engulfed with the things of the world that we worship being on this world and we worship the earth. Because if we do that, we will misappropriate that energy that God wants us to put to understanding who he is. When it says right here, and there will be no sea, 
Just look at this very practically. A C is what separates people. Seas in the world is what separates the different continents. And what God is saying through Revelation 21.1, he is saying, when we get into heaven, there will be no division. There will be no separation. It's going to be to a point where we will no longer have to have a banner on the wall saying that we are about reconciling cultures because we will all be reconciled. And so if you don't like people that don't look like you, don't go to heaven. Because we're coming together with no division coming as one, and that is good news. Verse 2 of Revelation 21 says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It says here that this new city will come down from heaven. I want you to see this. Heaven does not start here. Throw away the crystals. Throw away the beliefs that you can kind of self be self-absorbed. Heaven does not start here. There's no election that's going to finally elect the right president to make it all good. There's not this one philosophy outside of the kingdom of God other than the gospel that's going to make it all good. There's no kind of belief that we can come together and now say, okay, we're going to believe in this person and it becomes all good. No, it's not about our works. It's about God bringing heaven here. And I love the fact, this might be a little biased, but I love the fact that it says it's a city. Because if you live in the city, you are a little bit more uh, biased when it comes to how you travel. My wife and I, when we go visit certain friends, you know, and we're on that third back road because they live in the suburbs, we're like, no, this is for the birds. (laughs) Now, if you like the suburbs, that's great. But in the city, what we say that people that live in the city, we say everything's around us. Culture is around us. Entertainment is around us. And we don't have to drive 27 minutes to get eggs and milk. It's right there. But what we need to know is that God is saying it's like a city. And and, and this connotation is basically saying everything is better in the city except for sin being present. And again, those who live in the city also know what I'm talking about because many of us leave our cars unlocked so nobody won't break your window. He's saying everything is better in this connected, interconnected place in the city except for sin. I heard this thought, and it was just funny to me. It's as if the Lord is saying, let's make the city great again. Let me show you what it's supposed to be like when we are together, when we are in touch with one another. It's been said that heaven is like New York City just without the sin. If we can put that in our mind, all the good things about New York, all the great shows, all the great shopping, all the great people, all the great culture. And as we continue to look at what this says, it also kind of shares that this example of heaven is like 5,500 times bigger than New York, but it's a place that has no sin present. How many people would love to go around and not have to look over your shoulder, not have to worry if someone is out to get you, not worrying about if someone is going to scam you? It's without sin. And so Revelation 21, just stay with me for a moment. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4, it says this. I love this part right here. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It goes on to give this good news. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Did y'all hear what he just said? He said, the fulfillment of what I've been trying to get you back to since the Garden of Eden is now what I've created in heaven. All those things that because of man's fall that you've been separated from, now you have access to. And I love that he says that as a parent, like a parent. He will wipe the tears from your eyes. See, we show up to church on Sundays and and we put on the church face and we have it together and we'll let a little emotion out. But if I was to follow you home and, and take off the filter, many of us have had some tears. And we should be encouraged that God is saying, I see your tears. And when you get to heaven, I'm gonna wipe every tear from your eyes. Why? Because heaven is a place of no mores. 
What do I mean? No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more betrayal. No more pain. He's saying, I'm comforting you and I'm bringing you back to my original intent. But the biggest thing that we need to be able to celebrate is that he says, you're going to experience heaven. You're going to experience a new reality that says now there is no distance between me and you. One of the greatest travesties that happened is when Adam and Eve fell is that distance was created between us and God. He originally intended for us to walk with him in the cool of the day where we can just be with God always. We didn't have to go certain places to get with God. And it says it right here in Revelation 21, 22. Listen to this. I did not see a temple in the city. This is heaven. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. What does that mean? It means heaven is a real physical place where God rules and reigns on his throne. But currently in this life, we come to church to gather to meet God many times. We go to a temple as a symbolism of meeting God. But in heaven, people are going to ask you, hey, where are you going to be with God? Everywhere you go, everywhere you turn around, God is going to be there because you are with him face to face. Is anybody excited about that? Like, I know we get excited when when worship gets good and we see the haze coming in here, but we won't need any haze machines in heaven. We won't need to produce anything in heaven because God is right there. And all we will be able to say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. In heaven, you just go to God. Because what we're saying and what we're seeing is that all of heaven is indicative of original intent. Revelation 21 verses 1 and 2 says this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the great street of our city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. See, again, in the beginning, when God created man, there was a tree of life. And there was a river in Genesis and Eden. And so, again, what God is simply saying is how I intended it to be, now it shall be again. How I intended it before the foundations of the earth, now you get to experience this. Verses 3 and 5 in Revelation 22 says there no longer will be any curse, that the throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Listen to this. He says they will see his face. They will see his face. They will see his face. Now, for some people in here, and I'm sorry that I have to just pause for the call. Some of us don't get excited about this because maybe we haven't experienced God for ourselves. But I get excited when I read the word and I get a foretaste that I'm going to see your face, God. That it's not just going to be these few moments when everything is just right and I'm still. I will always see your face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Listen, when you're in heaven, everything's going to be lit. When you're in heaven, you're always going to see the biggest opportunity to worship God. When you're in heaven, just like we talked about last week, when there is darkness, it actually affects your mental health. When there is light, We're not going to do anything but just smile and have a good time and have a great time with each other. Amen? Amen. So here it is. As we kind of wrap this up, I need to let us know that this is just a description of the new city. What about the new earth that the new city is on? Again, I think God even just, he's measured and only given us what we can handle right now. Because as we look at this, here's another encouraging thing. You are going to see some of those family members, actually all those family members that died before you. Let me take it to another step and encourage some people, some some husbands, some wives, some people who have lost children in the womb, some people who had a stillborn child. I am confident, I'm thankful as I read this, the reason why I get excited is because Kendra and I are going to see our son who passed away, Emmanuel, again. We're going to be able to see him again and be reacquainted with him, even though we didn't get to live this life out with him. In heaven, all things are new. Is anybody excited about that in this place? So listen, hear this statement, please. If you hear nothing else I say, what we need to know 
is that what we have accepted as reality in this world has not been a reality at all. This is a temporary moment of time that we're to be good stewards while we're on this earth. But I love how C.S. Lewis says this. Listen to this. It's on the screen as well. He said, we have become bent, sinful versions of what God intended. Your deceitfulness, laziness, lust, deafness, disability, and disease are not the real you. They are the temporary perversions that will be eliminated. They're the cancer that the great physician will surgically remove. His redemptive work is such that never again will they return. When you're on the new earth, for the first time, you'll be the person God created you to be. And this is why at the last supper table, Jesus sat with his disciples and he lays out what's about to happen to them. And we should be encouraged by this. In John 14, verses 1 through 4, Jesus says to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, I know some of us grew up in church. We heard people preach this. And he's like, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Let me tell you, God was not talking about you having an eight-bedroom in heaven. (laughs) Sorry if you thought that. This is wedding language that he's speaking right here. And at the time in Hebrew culture, when a man proposed to the woman and and the woman said yes, the woman, the man would then leave. He would leave and go back to his father's house to prepare a place for his bride to be. And when he went away to provide this time and prepare this room for his bride to be, He did not get the release from his father to say this room was ready until the father said it was good enough. Why? Because if you know, most men will say, hey, it's a bed, it's a pallet, that's enough right there. But God the father says, I want to make sure that it's all right. And so when the father says that it's ready, that it's ready to go, he then releases the son to go back to grab his friends to make sure that now they can go and actually get that wife. And him and his friends, they take time and they go back to the city as a surprise because the woman is there with her lamp full saying, I'm ready to be received. And this is why the Bible talks about the fact that no one knows the time because it only happens when the father says it's time. But what I love about this story is that when the man starts to come back to the city with his friends, he comes on the scene and he yells out, hooty-hoo! He might not use that verbiage, but he yells out in a way so that she knows that he's coming because she doesn't know where he's coming from. And because she doesn't know where he's coming from, she stays ready. But in her staying ready, he comes to get his bride. And the Bible is teaching us that we need to be those people who don't get so comfortable in this temporary house that we're not ready to go to our eternal house. And so Jesus, he's representing this understanding that he is the groom and the body of Christ is the bride. And so he's saying, I'm coming close to you. I'm coming to you in a way that maybe you weren't expecting, but I'm coming because I need you to know that I've gone away to prepare a place for you. This place that I'm preparing for you is called heaven and it's good. My father has said now it's ready, meaning that everything you thought you needed, everything that you didn't even think about you needed, your father says that he has you covered. And so as Jesus started to explain this and he was sitting there with his disciples, Thomas heard him talking about this and he got a little nervous. Thomas started to wonder, am I going to be able to make it into heaven? How can I make it into heaven? And some of us in this room, in Overflow, online, you may be wondering, am I really sure I'm going to make it into heaven? How can I do it? And listen to what Jesus says. 
In John chapter 14, verse 4, he says, you know the way where I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. He's saying to them, and he's saying to us today, all you need is Jesus. I know this is a lot of information, and many of us are not thinking about heaven like this on our day-to-day basis. So don't get overindulged with all those things, because it's really not about heaven or hell. It's all about Jesus. And he's saying, heaven, heaven happens to be a byproduct of you saying yes to me. And so Jesus is the key. And I'm standing down here today just as a messenger of Jesus, standing in proxy to the great groom to open the doors to you, his bride, and ask you, will you be ready? Will you come? Will you say yes to Jesus? See, we talk about the altar all the time being a place of God fixing you and laying things down, but the altar also represents a marriage. And so in this moment, I believe by faith that there's some people in this room that you're not confident, you're not sure that you know, that you know, that you know, that if you're to leave out of this church today after this service and get sideswiped in your car or get hit by a bus or die in any kind of way that you know you're going to heaven. Now hear me, y'all know me. I'm not here to scare you into the kingdom. I'm just here to be real. And I wouldn't be a good shepherd, a good pastor, if I didn't give each and every person an opportunity, as Jesus did, to come. And so I'm standing right here waiting for, I know at least one person that says, I want, I want that call that you're making. I want this thing called salvation and eternal life. And so I'm just opening the doors of the church kind of in an old school way. That right now, if you know that you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior without bowing our heads and, you know, making it so nobody can see you, boldly, because your eternity is bold, boldly, I need somebody to meet me up here if you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior today. I want to pray for you. I'm standing right here waiting for you. I know you're in here. If you're in the overflow, I need you to come on in here. I need you to know that you need to be sure. The Bible says, when you hear my word, harden not your heart. And here's the thing. In a room like this, I know that this is a little bit intimidating. But you can either be a man pleaser and go to hell, or you can be a God pleaser and have peace that you're going to heaven. Who am I waiting for in the room? I don't have any shame standing down here waiting for you. I'm waiting on 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 you. I see some more coming. I'm waiting on you. You were a first fruit by stepping out. God's blessing on you. Come on, Victory. I need some people to pray in the room right now. There's some people in here that need to make this step. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. New life. New life. New life. I see you coming. New life. New life. Stay down here with me. I want to pray with you. Stay down here with me. I want to pray with you, and the congregation wants to pray with you. New life. New life. New life. New life. New life. New life. Once and for all. Drawing a line in the sand. New life. New life. Is there another? Is there another? Is there another? I believe the devil is mad right now because he wants us to be able to sit in here hear this truth, and then someone leave out of here and he snipes them out to go to hell. But I believe that I'm in a place full of faith. I'm in a place right now that believes that we can pray people out of darkness and into light. Come on, Victory Midtown. I need you just to pray right here as you clap your hands. Just shake the trees just for a minute. This is not to convince you. This is God convicting you into repentance right now. Hallelujah. Y'all come together right here. Come on, come down here. I see you. I see you. The Lord sees fit that he will wait for you. He will wait for you. 
all over the congregation. If there's still more, just keep on, just come and make your way. But if you could stretch your hands down here, those in the overflow, I need you to stretch your hands towards this sanctuary. Those worshiping online, I need you to stretch your hands towards the TV screen and, and join with us right now by faith. And I do want you just to join hands together because I believe that God does not want any of us to walk alone. That while this is a personal decision, you have a community of faith that wants to wrap around you. And so let's pray this prayer. I need you guys to pray this prayer with faith, with strength, understanding that you're making the best decision that you could ever make. I don't care if you've been in church all your life. God is saying, this is your moment of salvation. And so let's pray this prayer all over the room with strength, with fervor. Say, Jesus. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Today I repent, which means I turn away from my way of doing things. And I turn boldly towards your way of doing things. I accept your sacrifice for me, Jesus. That you bled for me. That you sacrificed for me so that I can be healed so that I can be whole, and so that I can be forgiven. Holy Spirit, I need your help. Help me to live for you. Help me to operate as a child of God. But I'm thankful that I can confidently say that I am saved, that I'm delivered, that I am free, and that I am walking through that narrow gate. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Come on, can we put our hands together? Can we put our hands together very, very stronger than that? Come on, put our hands together. Let's celebrate Jesus in this place. Let's celebrate Jesus in this place. Let's celebrate Jesus in this place. Come on, we're going to leave here today celebrating the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come, declaring that it's all about Jesus and there is no one but Jesus. Let's worship our God.